up son Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. You still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper I've been Chase the greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later. In the conversation, we strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments, and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No, Deanna speak. That shit that everybody vouching Ain't no more excuses valid Get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account and then account it This episode is sponsored by Bees She is the creator of the Gifatize app And the author of the Financial Starter Kickbook Bees works in the defense industry As an overseas contractor After years of studying financial literacy and investing, she is now financially free. The Financial Starter Kit comes with a free money allocation spreadsheet and gives you all the resources that you need to take control of your finances today. You can purchase the book at financialstarterkit.com. If you want to learn more about the defense industry and how to obtain a stable, high-paying career in the States or overseas, you can purchase her Defense Industry Guide at www.defenseindustry.guide. Also, for more information, you can follow her on Twitter at capital underscore SB. What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode. And before we start this episode, I want to encourage all our listeners to please subscribe and rate our channel. We definitely appreciate that. Also, feel free to give us feedback. Like I said, all three of those things, we definitely appreciate it. I just want to start the show off and letting you guys know. And um, here's another episode. I hope you all enjoy it. Another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I am your host, Xavier. I'm sitting here with my co-host, D. Hey, everybody. And today we have another special guest. This is going to be another uh, really, really good episode. So and I want to give a quick shout-out to my friend, B. She's the one that uh, suggested this guest come on. So when she suggested, I'm like, all right, it's a no-brainer. Let's do it. And I reached out, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. And we have him on today, and his name is Ron Carruthers. He's the owner of Carruthers College and Financial Solutions. And he's also a top-ranked college financial planner. And we're super excited to have you on the show, Ryan. So welcome to the show. Man, thanks for having me, you guys. And and shout-out to Bees. Thanks for introducing us. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> and uh, just just getting right into it. So uh, for the for the people who are not familiar with you, do you mind just giving a little background on yourself, just uh, leading up to all the things you're doing today? How did, it, how did that start? So I, I, I try to be everybody's, I try to be that smart friend that you have for anybody regarding finances, anything related to personal finance. I try to know about it, whether it's taxes, whether it's real estate, whether it's sending a kid off to college. And a lot of that comes from my own background where we were no shoes poor growing up, but I grew up used Pinto poor. Do you got, are you guys even old enough to remember the Pinto? Mm-mm. Okay, that was not the car you bought if you had a lot of money. Okay, <laughs> it was the ugliest car, you guys, that you can possibly imagine. 
And my parents had one of those. Um, my mom and dad married young. We grew up in apartments. And um, so as I got older, I graduated school. Number one in my class, that was my high school's valedictorian. And the only reason I even bring that up is because we didn't have any money for me to get to college. And so I was a kid. I didn't care. And I even told my guidance counselor, I'm like, look, if I'm as smart as you think I am, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to figure this out. And um, I ended up going to school a couple of years later to be a CPA and a certified financial planner, though I never sought for either one of those exams, mainly because the late stage college planning, the college planning for the parents who didn't save enough for college, like my own, is kind of what took over my life. So I know how to get free money for college. And since then, I've had a practice for 30 years where I've helped families pay less taxes, save for the future, really be efficient with the resources that they have. And that includes if they didn't save enough for college, helping them pay for college. So um, that's that's my background. Are you guys sorry you asked yet? <laughs> We're sorry you invited me on the show. <laughs> Should we just end this now? <laughs> That's great, man. That's, that you, you like you want to say something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, um, kind of, because I really like what you're doing for students and helping them get ready for college. So diving into that a little more, can you just tell us, like, what are the steps you recommend families um, take to start preparing their child for college, and how soon should they begin preparing? Okay, so the how soon, first of all, my clients, T, are late-stage college planning. Like, I don't normally help parents that have babies mm-hmm. or small kids. Um, mine is not the, hey, let's get started. Mine is the, oh, you didn't save. Okay, we got a problem. Let me fix it. However, in answer to your question, I would start now. And, and you mentioned, like, you guys can't see this, but I can. Um, Xavier is wearing a shirt saying future billionaire on it. The number one thing D, that parents can do for their kids is as soon as those kids are old enough to read, is start encouraging them to read success books. That is the number one thing that a parent can do right now and will have a bigger impact on anything else that a parent does for them. So I paid my kids money to read biographies of successful people. I paid them money to read books on copywriting. I paid them money and I knew I was doing something right, D, when the two older kids were telling my little 20, she's now 20 vegan hippie love child that goes to Berkeley, when they were telling her, daddy's so stupid. All you have to do is read this book, tell him what you learned and he'll give you $20. My daughter was eight and they were telling her that. So the number one thing you can do is put that success mindset in your kids. That this is America. You, no matter what your background is, you can make something of yourself and there are steps to doing it. That's number one. Number two is while your kids are in high school, the sooner you can start them prepping for the SAT and prepping for what they're going to college for in the first place, that's a huge deal. Advanced gender studies degrees do not command high salaries in the marketplace. But our mutual friend Bees does very well as a government contractor, you know, with her college degree. She's parlayed that into writing gigs and speaking gigs and a private clientele. 
and books and, and government gigs. So making sure, D, that your kids are going to college for the right thing, for something that they, they number one, enjoy, because that's important, but it is foolish to tell them, oh, just do what you love and the money will follow. Because, like, I play guitar. I'm not any good. I know better than to try to get people to pay me for playing guitar. I suck at playing guitar. I do it because I like it. But this, the marketplace is happy to to seek out my advice in this these financial arenas. And I like doing it too. So really figuring out why you're going to college. And then the other thing is figuring out as a parent what you're expected to pay for your students to go to school because school's expensive, but I send families every year who's, who make six figures, I send their kids to colleges for half or less of what they should have paid because I know the secrets on the system. I know who gets money, who doesn't. And um, so those are the areas that I would educate yourself in. Pay your kids to read books, encourage them to get internships while they're in high school for careers that they're interested in, um, start researching careers to see what they pay and see what you do, and then look for what your family situation is on money and um, see what's available for you. See what scholarships, grants, and a lot of them come directly from the schools. And um, I teach a class on it. If anybody wants to reach out, the class is free. They can, they can just go through and we nail them on the five steps on that of what to do. But um, that's kind of where we get started. Man, I, I really like that. Something you said, how you, you, you pay your kids to pretty much read. I wish, I wish my father did that. He used to... <laughs> He used to, like, on Saturdays before I would go out and play ball or whatever, he would make me read, like, sections of a newspaper and tell him what I learned. But I was like, man, I want to get a reward out of this. But, but <laughs> I, wish, I, wish he would, I wish he would have used that method. But, hey, yeah, man, that's, that's, uh, how old are you guys? I might adopt you guys. It's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are gone. I miss them. <laughs> I'm, I'm 26. I'm 23. Yeah. Oh, dang, you guys, my kids are 28, 25 this year, and then the, the hippies, 20. So, so, so be 21. I can't wait to take her out, like, um, up to wine country and stuff. So yeah. if you guys are down around the Berkeley area, if you guys get out of Roseville, Citrus Heights area, and head down to Berkeley, look for uh, a curly-haired hippie driving a short school bus. That's what she lives in. <laughs> That's Berkeley. You got you to live in a school bus in Berkeley. <laughs> that, that, that's experiences right there and uh something something else that you uh you spoke on as far as you said like pretty much just don't do it for your passion and that's like something i talk about on twitter a lot because and a lot of times i get a, a lot of flack because i'll say i mean it's it's okay with like going after your passion but make sure that passion is lucrative as well and sometimes people just like you know coming up we always hear the term that you know follow your passion follow your passion but it's like nobody ever tells you, like, okay, what if you suck at the passion? Do you continue to follow? <laughs> yeah, like me playing guitar, right? <laughs> <sighs> like, it's, if it's not lucrative, it's like maybe you should follow what's lucrative it is so you can do your passions more freely without the, the stress of how you're going to figure out to pay bills and stuff like that. Because I'm pretty sure you playing guitar is no stress to your life because you get to play it, have fun, have as much as you want. Totally. You know, it's interesting, Xavier, we have, I have a lot of kids who want to be like, they like marine animals. Even my own, the youngest wanted to be a marine biologist for a while. And 
here's the thing. We both live in California. You live at one end, I live at the other. And if any of you guys have ever seen California on a map that are listening to this, there's a lot of coastline there, yep. a lot of it. Sure. We employ maybe, maybe 250 marine biologists in the entire state. Now, I'm not talking about professors of marine biology, but actual marine biologists. And there are 39 million people, more or less, living in the state. 250 of them work as marine biologists. So my daughter wanted, originally was looking at that. And we're like, sweetie, this is great. We get that you love dolphins and whales and stuff like that. But you can't make a living at that. You got to wait for one of those 250 people to retire or die or something. That's, those aren't good odds. And if California only has 250 of them, how many do you think Arizona and Nevada have? Five, 10? And so my comment there is like, look, if you love something like sea animals, we'll get you a pass to SeaWorld. You can go visit them anytime that you want, but we got to find something else for you to make your living at that you enjoy. So interesting, my daughter did an internship in Thailand when she was 17. She was down there for four months, three months, somewhere in there. She did underwater weld, welding and reef conservation. So like they actually would weld a reef together and then put it underwater to try and repopulate the coral thing, whatever's going on down there. Loved it. That there's a huge market for. So she's still got to quote, follow her passion, but she just had to put some money behind it as well. So, um, you know, and a lot of billionaires made their living at very unglamorous things. Wayne Huizenga, I think, made it all with, um, is he the guy that did waste management and ended up as a billionaire? Was that him? I'm not he sure. was either blockbuster or waste management, billionaire. I don't know that he loved waste management. I don't know that anybody does. So there's areas, you know, and again, back to if you're a kid, you have kids getting ready to go to college. This is a great way for you to look at things for them to find that balance of getting paid but doing something that you enjoy. Mm, so that's what I tell you to look at it. And if you're an adult looking to redo, oh, sorry, Tee, if you're an adult looking to redo a career, same, same rules apply. We got to find that balance. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate like how you did that with your daughter because we have to be realistic with our children. And you don't have to be realistic to the point you crush their dreams, but it's just letting them know the real realities of the world. And, you know, your parents won't be around forever to take care of you. And at some point, you have to be able to be financially secure for yourself and take care of yourself, you know, when your parents are gone. So I really like that you did that with your, you know, your children to make sure they understood that and that they were able to still pursue their passions, but also be realistic about the ways of the world and, you know, look for more financially secure careers. Yeah, totally. You know, it's a funny story on that, D. Really along that line, one of my in-laws, former in-laws, is the, my, um, the stepbrother to my, my kid's mother. He is a legit rock star. Like, legit. <laughs> um, I think one year in the 90s, they sold 20 million records or 18 million records. I mean, that's, that's pretty high up there. They're one of the hottest bands in the 90s. But what's interesting is the band formed... They're all molecular biologists, and he's a doctor of molecular biology. 
So he's a white guy who had dreadlocks, who jumps around in the 90s and screamed the F word. He cut his hair since then. Sold a ton of records. But he was like, hey, man, the rock star thing, you know, it was great. We made a bunch of money. But I went to school to be a molecular biologist. And um, I always, we always had backup curve, the entire band did. And, you know, we did it for fun. We enjoyed it. And it just happened to work out. And um, that's kind of the Ava Longoria model. You guys know who Ava Longoria is? Yeah, doctor. Yeah, what a lot of people don't know, she was a Texas beauty queen. So she won some pageants in Texas or something. She came out to LA to to be an actress. And um, she did pharmaceutical sales for years. Even when she was on a soap opera, long before Desperate Housewives, she would film her soap opera every day and then go make her sales calls at night. She was getting paid six figures from both. And her comment was just, look, I found a job that pays the bills while I pursued my passion. And eventually it turned around and I was able to make a living at the other. But even for people that want to have a career in movies or rock music or something like that, we're like, get an education, get something that you have a marketable skill so you're not starving. But that's my two cents on that. I love that. I love that. That's, that's, that's heavy information. People need to hear that, especially young people. And uh, something I've seen you talk about on Twitter is you talk about what the wealthy do with their money that the poor and middle class don't do. And, <laughs> There's you know, a lot of things they do. A lot of things. <laughs> right, right. But I just want you to go into a few of the things that they do that some people might not be familiar with. Um, I think there's a handful of things. And one of the things, Xavier, that I tell my clients is we try to make you be as efficient with the resources that you have as possible. And one of the things that the wealthy, at least that I've studied, is first of all, they, they have a team of advisors that works really hard to lower their tax liability. And the number one tax shelter in America is not your home. It's not your 401k. It's having your own business, regardless of what that business does. Literally, the minute you have a business, you are entitled to all of the write-offs that IBM, that Facebook, that Apple computers get. And by the way, every single one of those businesses started in somebody's house, somebody's dorm room, or somebody's garage. So all businesses right. were home-based businesses to start out. I mean, really, I mean, yeah, all right, technically not all, but the majority of them were. The government gives you a ton of tax breaks there. You can write off things like vacations. You can write off travel. You can write off properties. So the government is willing to partner with you on the front end via tax savings so that if you're profitable on the back end, they're your partner for sure. And so one of the number one things, I mean, Warren Buffett said it, where he's like, my secretary pays a greater percentage of her salary than I pay of my income. And so one of the biggest areas that you, you can get hip to and will save you money because a dollar saved on taxes is a dollar put back in your pocket. And if you lose a dollar to taxes or any expense that you didn't need to pay, opportunity cost says you didn't just lose that dollar. You lost everything that that dollar would have made from now until the end of time for the rest of your life. And so what happens there is 
if you can save a dollar of taxes and someone like you guys who are in your 20s and invest that dollar, that dollar is going to double many times by the time you guys slide into retirement. And so one of the number one things that the wealthy do is they don't necessarily mind paying for good advice. By the way, that comes right out of the millionaire next door. And good advice in particular is good tax advice. Um, number two is um, a lot of millionaires really look at, most of them did not make their wealth buying stocks. So stocks are really, and, and look, I'm a money manager. We put tons of clients in investment products. But that's to preserve capital. That is to beat inflation. That is not to get wealthy. And I have yet to meet anyone that got wealthy just buying stocks. And I mean, real wealth, decamillions of wealth. Um, anyone there that, that got wealthy buying stocks, um, that, did, that did it that way. They did it in real estate. They did it from owning their own business. They did it from a number of things. And uh, they didn't do it from stocks. So it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, have good advisors, put money in the market, but don't necessarily look at that as a wealth growth vehicle, as a way of making your money, do it as a way of preserving your capital. The other thing that we find a lot of, a lot of wealthy, and even Susie Orman has said that, somebody asked her once what she did with her money, and she was like, I put my money into zero coupon bonds. It's one of the safest things you can do. And what she said was, look, I made my money as a media figure. Um, what I do, don't need is more risk right now in my life. I need to protect what I've got. Now, she also just recently mentioned, hey, when coronavirus hit and stocks dropped, she went and bought a bunch of them and she made a killing on it. But the idea that the wealthy, most of them, if you study the Fortune 500 or the Forbes list, they made their money in their own business, in real estate or some of those other areas, they didn't necessarily make it from stocks unless it was their own business. So I think those are some of the things that, that people should really be paying attention to because that advice really benefits them. And one other piece of it is most of the wealthy that I know really work to develop other income streams. So in other words, if they've got one business going really, really well, and that's the key word, really, really well, they don't shotgun a lot of stuff, they find one thing that they do really well, but then they seek to diversify their income, whether it's through real estate, like having a certain number of doors that, that give them income every month, whether it's flipping some stuff, or whether it's putting vehicles into place like asset-backed pensions, that pay them an income stream forever, or even shoot, even you see some of the celebrity chefs putting masterclass courses out or cookbooks out, it's just another revenue stream for them. So um, I think those are the things that we try to look at our clients. And if a guy works for a W-2 business, let's say, the number one thing he can do to lower his taxes is number one, start a side hustle. And then turn around and maybe that side hustle turns into some real income. So um, mm -hmm. that's my two cents on that. Yeah, I think those are really great points you made, especially when you talked about investing in stocks and stuff, because I think there is a misconception out here that 
you can get rich with just investing in stocks with little money because stocks is really what well, people forget it's about quantity just as well as quality like and uh like recently i had this 16 year old hit me up and she was telling me how she started a business and she just profited her first twenty thousand. and she was asking me like she wants to invest in some things that can make her money and like what should she invest in and i'm like firstly i mean i'm not a financial advisor or whatever but i'm like what i would do is I would just invest it back in the business instead of trying to invest into stocks or whatever because you obviously you, you if you profit the twenty thousand, I mean the business is obviously working and it, whatever you invest in is is nine times out of ten probably ninety nine percent chance it's not going to make that twenty grand as quickly as you just made it at the age of sixteen years old. So I'm like just keep reinvesting into in your business. Then when you get a lot of more capital. Then you can think about investing into stocks or whatever. Because like you said, stocks is really about, most of the time, it's really about preserving your capital and, and beating inflation and, and those things like that. So that's a, that's a really good point. You want to say something? Oh, I thought you was you like you want to say something. My bad. But, uh, <laughs> my, my bad. But uh, let, let me ask you this. So as far as, like, let's say someone that's getting ready to go to college, but they hasn't really been preparing as far as like getting their finances right to go do you think paying out of pocket like the the full amount is the is a good a good idea okay so two answers to that number one is if you have back to investment if i went to college then probably one of the number one created careers for income that you can go to college for is anesthesiologist. Mm. Most anesthesiologists that I know make between three hundred and five hundred thousand dollars a year. Now, if you own a business or you're you're self-employed, you can make more than that running a business because if your business is successful, you control the income. Um, but as a as a salaried position, like a guaranteed path to high income, um, something like anesthesiologist, where you're making three to five hundred thousand dollars a year right out of the gate, is you know as sure things go in this lifetime. That's about as close to a sure thing as you can get. The catch to it, though, is you're giving up about twelve to fourteen years of your life. Mm. So most people don't want to do that. I was one of those. You know, part of the reason I didn't mind going to college is I was like, ready. Like, I love my sweet Christian mother to death. Probably talk to her five times a week. But I could not get out of the house fast enough. Love you, mom, if you hear this. But you know what? Uh, my mom has some rules. I didn't really want, really want to live by those rules. So I was very good not going to college right away, working on my own, living on my own, um, and doing some stuff. But if you're going for something that is, you know, the marketplace wants a business degree, a STEM degree, a medicine degree, a nursing degree, a law degree, those things the marketplace rewards. So the first thing, back to your question, is you've got to know why you're going. To, to go to college these days, with expensive as it is, with the idea that they'll help you figure it out, that's like, let's just take some money and set it on fire because that's literally what we're doing. So know why you're going. But the second thing is, Xavier, is most people, if you understand the system, even if you make really, really good money, there's ways to get 
lots of financial way. Now, it may not make college free, but it can bring it way down. So if a family makes really good money, they can apply for merit scholarships. Again, I can explain to anyone how to do it. I won't hear because it doesn't apply to everybody. But if someone's interested in that, I teach classes on how to do it. If someone makes over 180,000 and owns a business, I invented a method for writing off almost the entire cost of college. And um, so it becomes a tax break. So they don't get a scholarship maybe, but they get 10 to $15,000 a year off on their taxes. Mm. Legit, I actually te teach it to CPAs. Um, that's the reason we had to move the time around on this class was because I was teaching a class to a group of CPAs this morning on that subject. So um, really it's very seldom that I run into somebody that gets nothing for college or there's nothing we can, they can do. Um, one of my doctor clients that does very well, I used to run into him at the health club all the time and his daughters went to medical school. And I'd probably see him at the gym three times a week in the locker room or on the weight room floor. And he would be like, hey man, I just wanna thank you. Um, man, again, you told my kids a couple pieces of advice that made medical school almost free for them. And I'm like, I really appreciate that, but that's the third time this week you've told me. <laughs> like, we're good. I know you're grateful. Like, we're all good here, man. And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You saved me so much money. So I only illustrate that as a point, you guys, that there's a way of approaching college um, that even if you make really good money and have been told college can be very affordable. And by the way, we're on Twitter where a lot of people, you know, that's how we know each other. That's how we know bees. That's how we know each other. And that's how you reached out to me. Yep. And we both know the, the Twitter market is a lot of, a lot of hate on college, right? Like stupid yep. man, just make a bunch of money online. Yep. No, if you're thinking that, if you're listening to this, I would tell you to go to college, get as much free money as you can get straight C's unless you're planning on going to an advanced school, make friends with everybody and run your business out of your dorm room. You will never have it as good as that. Mm. I have it on good authority since I never technically went to college officially. You know, I was married and had a kid by the time I was going, but um, that's my two cents on that. Mm. So when it um, comes to qualifying for financial aid, what would you say are the most important factors to have on that application? Um, the, well, for college aid or getting an MD, or um, both? Let's do both. Let's do both. Okay, because there are two different answers. The first one is, if you're just trying to get into college, every college is looking for the same three things. Good grades, mm -hmm. good board scores, SAT or ACT, and what they call a distinguishing excellence. And all that means is something that sets you apart from the other students. So you don't have to join the French, the German, the Spanish and the Italian clubs. You know, they look at that and they know like, come on, man, you're not, you don't speak all those languages. You're just screwing <laughs> around and trying to pad your resume. Find one of them or two things that you really enjoy. And the definition of good SAT or ACT scores depends on the school. So parents ask me that all the time. They're like, what's a good SAT score? And I'm like, 1600 is good. And they're like, well, that's a perfect score. And I'm like, well, yeah, perfect is good. But now tell me what school you're thinking of applying to. And then I'll tell you what's good for that school. 
And the answer is going to be different if you're looking at MIT, where basically actually 1580 is considered a good score there versus, um, say, UT Austin, where 1300 is considered a really good score there. It's different by the school. So pay attention to those things. And even now, like right now, as we record this, the word on the street is, oh, they're not going to require SATs or ACTs next year. The keyword is require. They're not going to require them. And there's a thousand schools right now that don't require them, but they recommend them. And it's a huge way to set yourself apart. Mm. Getting internships while you're in high school in careers that you think you're going to enjoy are great. Because I can't tell you how many kids have thought they wanted to be a lawyer, went and worked in a law office for a couple of weeks and hated every second of it. And I'm like, sorry to any lawyers that are listening to this, but I'm like, we saved another soul from Satan. Just kidding, you lawyers. But I mean, like, look, a lot of my lawyer clients, a few of them like being lawyers, but a lot of them really don't enjoy it. Um, in my own case, Dean, when I, when I was in high school, I went and worked in a medical office where my mom worked. And I thought I wanted to be a doctor and I hated it. It just wasn't for me. Whereas, like, I think you guys can figure out that I enjoy it. Like, this is not work for me. Yep. Um, so that's those are really important things. When it comes to financial aid, it's important to understand how the system works. And because everybody's situation is different, it's a little harder to answer. But I guess my, my comment would be, if you're in California listening to this, their state grants, you can make up to $177,000 a year and still get some of your tuition covered. It's in the state charter. And if you, you can make up to like 120, depending on how many family members you have and get the whole thing free. Um, every state has some version of that. But even if you make more than that, there's other programs and opportunities or even things like the tax scholarship. So I would just tell parents like, don't despair. You don't need to sell a kidney on the internet to afford your kid's college. <laughs> you know, there's ways of doing it. And uh, look, I'm actually trained more in the tax and finances. And I would say maybe half my practice is college parents and half is just normal financial and tax advisory stuff. But um, those are the most appreciative parents because they all thought they were going to have to pay 200000 each or two fifty each for their right. kids to go to college. And they end up paying half of that. And look, I'm really, really popular for that. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, please don't assume that you're stuck paying full freight. Mm. Um, so that would be kind of what I would tell them. And by the way, this applies even if you already have a kid in school. So if you've got a kid in school and you screwed all the paperwork up, again, you can fix that. It's not that big of a deal. Mm. Um, so that's my two cents on that. Okay, one more question for you. Yeah. Um, I've seen you talk about on your website was um, the five most common mistakes people make on their FAFSA applications. And I just want to see if you could go over those for us real quick. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So the, the, for anybody listening to this, the FAFSA is, it stands for Free Application for Federal Student Aid, if you guys haven't heard that term before. And um, it's a government form, which right away should tell you it's a terribly worded, terribly written, overly complicated form. And I see you guys like nodding. <laughs> if you've ever filled one out, anybody who's ever filled one out 
And I train people to do this for others. So like CPAs, people that are used to filling out forms. And the very first thing I do is I'm like, all right, why don't you fill one of these out for your own family situation? And 100 times out of 100, they've screwed it up. On the parent level, I'd say about nine out of 10 parents make one or more of these mistakes that I'm about to explain to you guys. And it costs people money. And here's what happens. Those parents talk to other parents and they're like, oh, Bob and Sally or whatever their names are, you guys make more money than we make. We didn't get any financial aid. Therefore, you're not going to get any financial aid. Don't even bother. And the colleges love that because they're like, all right, well, you didn't even apply for AIDS, so you're not going to get me, so write us the check. Um, so here's what they are. Number one, one of the biggest mistakes is not filing at all. That's the biggest mistake, T, is parents are like, oh, yeah, it's a waste of my time. I'm not even going to bother. Well, in California, we just had, we had a couple clients that were making a quarter of a million dollars a year that lost their jobs, like, permanently. And because we filed early for them, we could go back and appeal, and now they're getting free tuition because they applied in time for that state grant the school could go in and change those numbers. And now their kid would have had to stay home if they didn't file because they filed, we were able to go in and appeal and get a money. That's big mistake number one. Big mistake number two is filing too late. So California, our deadline May 2nd, I mean March 2nd, excuse me, March 2nd. We generally recommend everybody do it by the end of January of the year the kids go into college. So if people don't get around to it until April or like, hey, I'm going to wait and see if my kid even gets in before I file any of this stuff, then they might lose out. The other mistake, by the way, is filing too early. The government, when Obama came into office, they changed the opening deadline from January 1st and they pulled it to October 1st, so three months earlier. And so parents try to apply right on October 1st because the schools tell them they're going to get more money, which isn't true because a lot of times the kids haven't even applied yet. But check it out. The system's really glitchy mm. in October because about 5 million people try to use it all at once. And so it crashes and reports data wrong. So we're like, just sit October out file on November 1 unless your kid's like an athlete and specifically has a school that has to have it by then. The other fourth mistake is counting your assets wrong. Simply means if we were sitting down and we were having coffee, which we might do in the very near future because I got to go see my cousin up in Placerville before too long. So I'm going to call y'all up yeah. and let you know if you guys are coffee drinking folks or we can do it after work. DNA Xavier and it'll be uh, cocktails. But yeah. if we were drinking coffee and I was like, hey, you guys list out your assets for me. You guys would list out your business rentals, right? You guys would list out maybe the home that you live in if you owned it. You'd list your cars. You'd list jewelry. You'd list fancy watches, jet skis, boats, 401ks, IRAs, cash value life insurance, 403Vs, pensions. That's what we would list if we were going to a bank and applying for a loan. Right. Not one, not one 
of any of those things I just mentioned counts as an asset as far as the fuss is concerned, not one. Now, rental property is a little bit great, but you can get it out, particularly if you guys are like real estate investors. So the reason I bring that up is that's the biggest mistake that parents make when they're filling the paperwork out. And literally, you guys are too young to know this, but any of your older audience might remember Johnny Carson, and he used to do this. Do you guys know who Johnny Carson is? Yeah, the late, he was a late night show. Host, Take right? you out, Xavier. All right, man. Well, you know, like, we got about 30 years almost between us. So I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> he used to do this skit. By the way, he was hella funny, and I got to meet him one time, and he was really a nice guy. But um, he used to do this skit that was really funny called Karnak, where he would dress up like he was, like, a fortune teller. And he would... Um, hold up like these things to his forehead and say the answer and then open and read the question. And it was always real funny. If a client brings me a FAFSA to look at, I can tell them without even looking at, check your asset line, tell me what's there. They'll read it off to me like, yeah, that's wrong. Nine times out of 10. So that's a, that's a big area of mistakes where people list stuff because that's the normal definition of an asset. But remember Congress made this form so Congress made this really screwed up, convoluted um, definition of what is and isn't an asset. And so that's kind of where all, where, where this goes wrong. And then the fifth mistake is if you got divorced, separated, people screw all that up. You only count one household's information. So if mom and dad are split up, it says put parent one, parent two, but in that case, you would only put one parent's information. Now, if that parent remarried, you got to put the other new step-parent's information, but you don't have to put both parents' information. And that applies whether you're divorced or even separated. Hmm. So those are the biggest mistakes parents make, but I could literally keep you guys here all day <laughs> and you would hate me for that. But I will tell you guys a cool story. Y'all have kids. No. Get into the college. No, no, no. I'm saying go oh. have the kids oh, and then get uh -huh. into the college planning business and you'll make a lot of friends. So at one point, D, my um school's principal came, her ex-husband drug her in to see me. And she was kind of like we were friends and stuff, and she was not happy to be there. And she turned around and was like, I fill out forms for the state all the time. Oh, what do you mean I made a mistake on this? I'm like, look, I don't know. Just tell me what you did. Turns out she had made like five mistakes on the forms. We got her kid about $18,000 a year at a state school that year because we went and corrected it and then called the school. And guess whose kids got whatever elementary school teacher they wanted for the rest of elementary school? That would be me. <laughs> so I call, I call the principal, be like, hey, uh, we got Miss So-and-so. Could we really have Mr. Weber? And she'd be like, no problem, Ron. Your kids are now Mr. Weber's class. <laughs> so I was not shy about using my, my position to unduly influence her. And my wife at the time was very happy with our kids teaching selection. So, mm. don't ignore this you guys no, that's, that's heavy right that's there yeah because when i was in high school and we had to fill out the forms the people helping us at school didn't even know how to fill them out so i was confused had no idea what i was doing and they didn't know either do you want to know something crazy my very first client i was never supposed to be in this business never 
I went to school to be a CPA and a CFP. And midway through, I taught one class. Like, it wasn't tax season. So I'm like, oh, I learned some of these rules. I'm like, my parents didn't know this. I need to explain this to other people. And the room was packed. At the very back of the room, like, I'm young and stupid. And I'm like, your guidance counselors don't know anything, man. And they can't help you, man. It might not help me, man. You know, like, that's me at 25, right? Or whatever I was at the time. And um, a guy gets up at the back of the classroom, D. He goes, young man, I'm a guidance counselor. And I'm like, oh, my God. He's going to call his guidance counselor buddies. And they're going to rough me up in the parking lot. He goes, everything that you said was 100% true. I have absolutely no clue how to fill these forms out. And every mistake that you've said, I made with my own kids. He's like, can I pay you money to, for you to help me with this? Here's me. Uh, okay. So, and, and 30 other parents were like, yeah, well, you're going to help us too. And I went home to my wife that night and I'm like, whoa. I think we have a new business here. And by one week later, I was on like the six o'clock news of like the third ranked television news channel in Los Angeles, but Los Angeles is the number two market in the country. And since then, you know, it's cool. I get quoted in Wall Street Journal and Forbes and Fortune and stuff for this knowledge, but it really is knowledge that parents need. Look, there's a lot more to putting your finances in order than this. But if this applies to you, it's a huge area. It is. And I want I want to uh, make a quick pivot real quick because I want to ask you about this. I seen you talk about it on Twitter. And you talked about how to, to, how to survive a divorce with mostly your assets and sanity intact. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh. this is so important because, like, even, even though as young people, you never know what can happen in your relationship. And I know... When I talk to people, when me and Deanna talk to people about our relationship and stuff, we tell them, like, you know, we plan on, like, putting things in place that's just 50-50 just in case for the worst. And people are always like, what? Like, they always they always say, like, so you guys are pretty much planning a divorce if you get things prepared beforehand. It's like, no, like, you don't say that if I get, when I get insurance for my car, you don't say I'm planning for an accident. So why are you saying like you know what I mean? So it's it's a very it's a very important topic that I wanted you to touch on. So okay, so I remember back to what I said earlier. I try to be your smart friend that knows everything there is to know about personal finance, and I really do. I work really hard to know all that stuff. Unfortunately, I got divorced after twenty years of marriage. My ex knew we were getting divorced. I didn't. So she could do stuff like clean out bank accounts, totally legit in California, right up until you file the paperwork, not legit afterwards. So I wrote one day I sat down and look, my kids follow me on Twitter. So I didn't even tell half the story and I won't hear either in case. Right, right. But my ex and we're friends now we get along. She just bought a prison bus. I'm not even joking. A legit, like, 30-foot prison bus that they converted to an RV. She's driving around California. I think she's up by you guys to look for an ugly green prison bus with a curly-haired, middle-aged white lady driving it. That's my ex-wife. Or a really tall kid. That's one of my kids. But anyway, um, if you're going to go that route, here's the first thing that I would tell you. Um... Number one is try to work it out just you guys. 
-hmm. The minute, what I found was the minute that lawyers get involved, their job is not, despite what they tell you, and you have to stop and think about this, there is an inherent conflict of interest. If I get to charge you three or $400 an hour, Xavier and Deanna, to fight each other, and the longer you fight, the more I get paid, I don't have a, I don't have an incentive for you guys to end this quickly. Now, I'm not saying there's not good lawyers out there. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is you have to realize that lawyers get paid by the hour. And the average lawyer, when I first got divorced, my lawyer and her lawyer were sending four letters a day back and forth. My bills were $5,000 a week just in them sending letters back and forth. Look, I'm a, I'm a dude, you know, business owner. My ex had inherited some money. They saw us coming a mile away and I, could, I, I didn't know any better. I thought the letters meant something. Letters don't mean anything. So your attorney, if you guys are getting divorced, might write one or two letters. Beyond that, those letters don't count for anything. The only thing that matters is what happens in court or what you guys agree to. So number one is choose your lawyer very wisely and try to avoid one at all costs. Before that, if you guys, what you guys talked about, which was ha Xavier having a prenup makes a lot of sense. And um, love or hate the president, he's written extensively about it because the man's been married a lot of times. <laughs> he's learned and he's got a lot at stake. So he's written extensive, um, in his extensively in his books about you are absolutely crazy if you don't have a prenup. Now, I got remarried, didn't have one, by the way, just so you guys know. Full disclosure, my 10th anniversary is like in a week and a half. Congratulations. But, thanks, man. And my, my wife, my current wife is adorable. But I also watched her because we were friends before we got together, the way she treated her husband. And she was just sweet and nice to him. And she had lots of opportunities to screw him over and she didn't take advantage of any of them. Mm. So advice number one is don't involve lawyers if you can all do it. The funny thing about my ex and I, we fought for four years. That was her doing. Boy, and the guy had her convinced like I was hiding millions of dollars. And by the way, if I'd have thought of it and known we were getting divorced, I'm not saying I wouldn't have. I just didn't know. You know, like I wouldn't have put it past me. I think I might have. But I had no idea. So he had her convinced I had millions of dollars in offshore accounts and stuff. And and look, we had good savings. We saved 25% of our income. We had cash value policies. We had rental properties. We had all that. All of it went. Because the lawyers got it all. She paid, and, and check this out. When we first got divorced, I sat down with a yellow pad and a paper, and I'm good at math. And I went, look, these are the properties we have. This is the, re the, the cars we have. This is my income. This is our retirement accounts. You take this, I'll take this. You take this, I'll take this. We divided everything up in one hour. I said, you get it to the attorney, get him to sign off on it. You sign off on it, I'll sign off on it, we're done. Let's not fight. We got kids together, we got to raise them. He was able to convince her. No, 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 he's screwing you. Four years later, and you guys ready for this? You guys are sitting down, right? I'm sitting down. She spent $398,000 fighting me. Oh, shit. 398000 
to get exactly to the penny what we had written on that yellow piece of paper four years earlier. Because I pulled it out when we were all done. It was exactly what was on that piece of paper. And here's the crazy part. What we agreed, the way we split everything up, I owed her less than three, like right around $300,000. I was like, this is the differential between the property you're taking and what I'm taking out of this. It was less than three. It was about $300,000. That's what we settled for. So, I mean, there was more involved than that because I got to keep a business. You got to keep, right. you know, all this other stuff. But that's the crazy thing. And so if you can avoid the lawyers, that's the best starting place. If you have to go the lawyer route, keep your lawyer in check. Like, tell them no letter writing, none of this. Let's just go to court and constantly try to work with your ex. While you're doing that, don't get another male or female caller that definitely that I'm like, well, she doesn't want to be with me anymore. You know, like whatever dating's cool. No, that did not, even though it was her decision to get divorced when I started dating again, that did not go in my favor. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'm dumb. I'm like, what are you talking? Why is she all pissed? But that probably dragged my divorce out another year or two. And um, the other thing is take care of your own mental health, meaning, one of the best pieces of advice, it was doing yoga. And I'm like, huh, doing yoga? And they're like, yeah, it relaxes your body. And I'm, even though we're all in California, man, I'm not a yoga guy. <laughs> and, uh, but it took a lot of stress out and stuff like that. So um, wow. yoga, yoga worked out good for me and, and just trying to take my mind off it. And by the way, there's a great resource on the internet, a book called Stop Your Divorce. And I literally think about it, it's like 75 bucks at stopyourdivorce.com. And if you want to win a spouse or lover back, it is an excellent resource. Mm. And, and I actually got back together with my ex, but at that point, there were too many other underlying problems. You know, but um, man, you guys can find the rest of the thread on Twitter. I'm sure there's something I'm leaving out, but yeah, yeah just try to avoid dragging this out if at all possible. And look, if you have kids, don't involve them in any of this. You're the grown-up. They're the kids. Let them be kids. Don't bad talk the other spouse, um, no matter what they do. And, and I, I felt like I did a really good job of that. I've never had the conversation with my younger two kids about what actually happened. And I only had it with the older one after she was 18 because she brought it up. Right. But um, I just, I'm like, they're kids. It's not their business. And it do, frankly, it doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. So. Are we? Yes, that's, that's, that's our fault. <laughs> so that's, 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 some, uh, that's really important information, man, because you see people go through it all the time. And I, I know I, I hear stories about divorce lawyers all the time. And it's like. Man, it's like a knife going through my heart every time I hear it. I'm like, this is terrible. Divorce was the worst thing I ever went through. It absolutely was the worst thing I've ever gone through in my life. It, um, I don't, I mean, look, if you guys can work it out, any, not you guys, but anybody listening to this, if you can work it out, try it. Um, I had a buddy, um, he's actually a pretty famous author, and I remember him saying both his parents died and he got divorced in the same year. He said, of the three, hands down, the diverse, divorce was the most traumatic of all of them. You know, it sucks. It just sucks. And um, look, my ex and I, towards the end, really weren't getting along. So I wasn't all that sad to see her go. And I don't think she was that sad to see me go. 
but it still just sucked unbelievably. And it really, it really sucks for the kids. But unfortunately, it's reality of our society. You know, half of us end up divorced. So that's true. That's that's definitely true. And uh, I want to ask you this now. So speaking on finances and just general, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that people make with their money? (laughs) How long do we have? Uh, Let me tell you the number one. The number one mistake. This is actually an easy one for me, but there's, I'll give you two of them, but the number one mistake is people assume when they are putting money into their IRAs, 403Bs, 401Ks, or any of those vehicles, they assume that they're saving taxes. You are not saving anything. You are postponing paying taxes. By the way, same with real estate investors who keep 1031, 1031 in properties. That's my dog, you guys. We just got her. To, we just got her to quit smoking about three weeks ago. She was like three packs today, and so yeah, I don't know what's going on. She's got this weird smoker's cough. Um, anyway, the number one mistake is assuming that you're saving taxes when you're dropping money in a 401k. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Um, particularly if you're getting a match, but what it does mean is people blindly dump all their money into their 401k or IRA or step plan or 403b or 1031 properties endlessly. If I'm going to go down the same route and all they're doing, sorry, (laughs) all they're doing is, delaying paying those taxes and delaying the calculation of those taxes. Mm. So we just dumped $2 million to our national debt, like in two months. Uh, And so at some point, somebody has to pay those taxes. And the problem with locking up all your money in a 401k, and again, keyword all, is that a, you don't have any access to it while you're working or very limited access. But B is, you are forced to take distributions right now when you turn 72, but they can change that. Sorry again, you guys. Just keep it over a couple minutes. Um, and you have no control over what that tax rate is when you retire. So that's two sides of one coin. Having all your money tax deferred and not having access to it. That's the biggest mistake. The flip side of that is making sure that at least some of your money is growing tax-free and is accessible to you before you retire. Because the number one thing that gets people in trouble while they're working is not having access to capital. If all your money is locked up in your house, your properties, or your 401k, and you lose your main source of income like a lot of people did, the government took extraordinary measures to bail everybody out. And some would agree with it, some would disagree. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. But the fact of the matter is, in 2008, they did not bail people out this way. Mm. And it was bad back then. Um, So make sure some of your money is liquid. The other biggest mistake that I see is people dumping all of their money into stocks or risk vehicles. And again, we just saw the problem with that. The market dropped 40 45% all at once in a matter of weeks. And look, it came back, or it's coming back. It's still down for the year, but it's coming back. But the problem is it may drop again. So making sure that you have money that's safe and secure 
that you can get your hands on. That is the number one thing you can do besides getting a side hustle and paying less taxes to, to really put yourself in control of your money and not the government, not the stock market, you. Right. And that's the, everything we do in our practice is designed to be efficient with resources and to put our clients in control of their money. So they have control. I like that. And speaking on speaking on four hundred one k's, this was like I think this is my final question. Unless you have something, speaking on four hundred one k's, I know a lot of times. Excuse me, a lot of times people kind of talk shit about them, just like how they talk shit about school. But what? <laughs> but what? What is your uh? What is your opinion on four hundred one k's and IRAs and all that stuff? So uh, here's my here's my two cents. First of all, everybody's situation is different. Right. And so my answer to everything and people make fun of me because I'll say, do the math. You know, like that's my tagline is do the math. And they'll be like, oh, Ron's going to say do the math again. I'll be like, do the math. You know, well, should I pass my home early or should I put a big down payment? I'm like, do the math. But if you're particularly if you're in the, the, a lower tax bracket, particularly like a lot of young people where your career hasn't taken off yet. Right. So you're in a lower tax bracket. The dumbest thing you can do is postpone paying your taxes. Now, if you're getting a 401k and they're giving you a match, let's not be crazy. Take the match. Free money's free money. Let's not be stupid about it. Right. But beyond that, for most of my clients, we're like, man, you're way better off getting this money, paying the tax on it now, and then putting it into an account like a Roth IRA or like a properly structured cash value life insurance. Properly structured simply means it was the original Roth IRA. I'm not the insurance guy. I'm the tax guy. And I'm, remember, I try to be the smart friend about all things money related, but if it's done right, and most aren't, but if it's done right, it's a massive way of saving money tax-free that you can use before retirement age and you never pay any taxes on your gain. Not now, not when you die, not any of it. And you would be shocked how many wealthy people use it as a wealth, again, not a way to make their money, but a way to preserve and protect their money. So I'm not against them at all. Some people are. Like you should never... Never put money in a 401k, even if they're giving you a match. I know a lot of advisors who preach that. I'm not one of them. I'm like, let's be reasonable. And let's, yeah, if they're giving you a match, or you're in a really, really high tax bracket right now, or you're living in California, or New York or New Jersey, a really high tax state, and for the next five years, you're going to be working here, but you know, hey, man, the minute I'm done with that contract, I'm going back to a lower tax state. Sure, then put more into your 401k. Why not? Right. But if you're just going to be in a normal situation, I tell my clients, take them, whatever they'll match you on, put the rest somewhere else. Let's not postpone paying those taxes. Let's get it over with and let's get some portion of your money growing tax-free that you can access before retirement age and use that when a good rental property comes you know, where a good deal comes on the market. Let's use that when the rest of the stock market drops 50%. Let's use it to buy some stock. Flip the stock. Wait until it comes back and you double your money and then put your money right back in your safe account. When you sell the other, put your profit in your pocket and go back to doing whatever. 
back to don't have all your eggs in one basket yeah. or all in the stock market. So that's my, and, and Xavier, man, I'm being nice and not giving you the long version of the rant. Cause I can go all day on why I hate 401ks. <laughs> I'm about to do a five, um, May 29th is coming up. So I'm going to do a rant on May 29th about 529 college savings plans and all the reasons I hate them. And I'm trying to decide which I hate more. 401k is beyond the match. Dave Ramsey's financial advice <laughs> or 529 plans. And I think it's actually a four-way four tie. I hate them all equally. Except for Dave Ramsey's debt snowball stuff. If you're in debt, that's a pretty good one. Right. But the rest of his advice, peasant advice. Uh-oh. Um, but yeah, I hate all four of those things equally. 401k is beyond the match. Bonds, 529s, and Dave Ramsey's financial advice other than debt snowball. So I so, so I gotta ask now. What is it about Dave Ramsey's advice that you hate? I've, I've watched a couple of his videos, and it's like it's usually just I don't know. I don't, I, I don't want to say it's not for me, but basically I'll say that. it's not it's not for for me. But I feel like for some people it may it may work. But why why do you hate it? Okay, number one, back to you wearing your future billionaire sweatshirt, man. Dave Ramsey's advice is for broke people. It is. That's true. Like, like, I don't know a nicer way to say that. But, but by the way, half of America, their family income is $40,000 a year or less. That's half of America. I get cranky when politicians are like, well, you know, these tax cuts didn't benefit the poor. And I'm like, the poor don't pay taxes. People making less than $40,000 only pay 3% of the total taxes that we collect as a country. So, like, yeah, they're not paying any taxes. So, of course, the tax cut isn't going to benefit them. The reason I get cranky about Dave Ramsey's advice is because, first of all, one of the things that we intellectually disagree on is I don't believe people should rush to pay off their mortgages. And I've got the math to prove it. And I can prove there's better ways of doing that, even with low interest rates. There's better ways to do all this. And I also, when I do a financial plan for somebody, the most I'm going to let them use as an interest rate is 8%. Dave Ramsey goes around and tells people they're going to earn 12% on their money. I'm not the one telling that. Dave is. So let me ask you a question. Why would you ever pay off your mortgage early that's 3 or 4%? Right. which Dave Ramsey tells people to do if you really thought you were going to make 12% on your money. And I call bullshit. I'm like, you don't actually even believe that you're just spouting it up because if you really believe that you would never, you tell them, pay off your credit cards, stop at your mortgage and jam as much money into stuff that's going to earn 12% as it's possible. Hard. So I'm like, look, you're a hack. You don't even believe your own financial advice. And, um, and look, you're a media personality. You're not a financial advisor. You're a talk show guy and you make your money by advertising and by referring people, oh, by the way, to the Dave Ramsey specialist, which I don't even have a problem with. Right. But I'm just like, no, if you genuinely believed your advice, you would never encourage somebody to pay off their mortgage at 3% that you're getting a tax break on in many states still. Uh, I mean, you get them in all the states, but because of the standard deduction being higher, you might not totally get it. But why would you ever do that? if you were really getting 12%. And the fact of the matter is, most people aren't getting anywhere near 12%. Some are, but a lot of people 
So that's that's just one event. You know? yeah. but, but again, man, I think when we get that drink or that coffee, Xavier and D, yeah. I'm gonna, I'll, you guys ask and I'll go for hours. Yeah, we go, we go. <laughs> I'm sure that's just what you wanna hear. <laughs> Ron ranting about why he didn't like they ran. <laughs> that's just what everybody wants to hear. But no, I, I agree with what you said though. Like like I said, I watched a couple of his videos and that, that always baffled me as well. I'm like, yeah. From my perspective, I would rather put money in other things that's gonna generate me money instead of rushing off to pay pay off something with a low interest rate. That's how I always look at things. Exactly. Yeah. I'm with you exactly. Look, I have the cash sitting in my bank to pay off my car. I could have paid it off years ago. But right. I, I keep a small note on my car, you right. know, and um I'm in no rush to pay it off. They're charging me four percent and it's a deduction to my business or three point three seven five or something like that. Same. Yep. So why would I why would I risk to pay that off? And I'm not even earning four percent in the account I keep my money in, but I like looking at my money and looking at my car note, which isn't very big, and knowing I protected my capital. I have money in my pocket, and that gives me more peace of mind than paying off my car would. Yep. I'm so, saying here. Yeah, and the other thing that I say about Dave Ramsey is look, it's kind of like if you're broke, but you don't want to be. It's kind of like when you were young, you went to the pediatrician, but then you grew up and you had to go get you a real doctor. Mm-hmm. At some point, if you're going to make money, we call this podcast, didn't you say it's the millionaire mindset? You need different advisors than yep. what Dave Ramsey is going to tell you. By yep. the way, I do not have anywhere near the same level of animosity. I like Susie Norman. I don't agree with all her advice, but I kind of dig Susie. She's transparent. Dave's a hack. <laughs> hey man that's that's yep. <laughs> but yeah before before we wrap up we just want to say we oh so a lot of our listeners are young and they're always trying to figure out like what can they be doing now to set themselves up for you know a good financial future so i just want to see what would you get what advice could you offer them to pretty much lay that foundation out i have it for you here's the steps number one make sure that you're making more than you're spending. Now, in some cases, D, that means you got to go find something else that you need to do. And and look, the other thing, you know, Dave Ramsey's a big dude about like, don't go to Starbucks and don't do, look, I don't love Starbucks. I prefer Pete's myself. But, um, you know, if your whole financial plan is going to live and die by you getting a $5 coffee a couple times a week, we got bigger problems there. Right. Now, if you're going three times a day and you're getting $20 of coffee, all right, that's a problem. But um, so number one is the sooner you can start saving up to 20% of your money, the better because compound interest works best over long periods of time. And what every single one of us did that's my age that wish we knew when we were your age. Now, again, I was in finances, so I, I was always a good saver. Um, but my career had some ups and downs. Um, but I was in a really good position, you know, 12 years ago when I got divorced. We were set. I don't know that we were part of the fire movement, but we could have been. And um, I just like what I do. But um, we looked at moving to Italy for a year, and I would have just run the business from there and stuff. But the sooner you can start saving and investing, the better. Before you pay off credit cards, before you pay down student loan debt, start investing because time is your friend in that thing. 
Now, the way I would do it is you got to have a couple, three months just in cash in the bank of living expenses. We saw what can happen. Yep. So I'd get a couple months in cash. I'd start saving and investing. So tax deferred strategies, longer term strategies. Then I would go back D and I would pay down credit card debt first, student loan debt second. But the mistake that a lot of people make is they want to pay down all their credit card debt and their student loan debt first. Then they want to save for the future. Mm -hmm. But if you guys have ever seen a geometric curve, you know, one of those curves that starts real low and then goes up, 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 up. The longer you wait, you don't cut off the first part of the curve. You cut off the last part, which is where you get your really dramatic growth. So if you, and, and we, one of the Twitter threads I put together was a, a girl, I think I showed the example of somebody starting at 22, saving $10,000 a year for 10 years and then stopping versus somebody starting at 32 and saving 10,000 a year all, all the way up to 65. The one who started at 22 saved, had more money in the bank, even though she only put $100,000 aside versus the other guy who put like 350 almost, 330 because of that time component. That 10-year span made a huge difference. That's the number one thing you can do for yourself. And then we would get into like get hip on taxes so you're paying the least amount legally possible. You can, if you feel bad, you can always send them more. You literally can write a check to the U.S. Treasury because you feel bad, like you could write a check to your church or to anything, and they will cash that check. Right. Now, they're kind of assholes about it. They won't send you a thank you note. They won't tell you, you know, they won't send you a bottle of wine, but you can always send them more, but it's on you to pay them the least amount possible. So start saving, get your emergency fund set up, start investing first, then start getting aggressive on paying down any debt that you have besides cars in the house. My feeling is, eh, I'm not in a big rush to pay off a car payment. Again, mine was reasonable. And um, homes, that's kind of where I demarked the line. Student loans, credit card, any other consumer debt, we want to get rid of as quickly as possible, but only after we set aside savings. And if you're not able to do that right now, take a good look at your expenses. Look and see if you can find them. And I had a chief of surgery at a hospital making several hundred thousand dollars a year that I just met with yesterday tell me they found like a couple few thousand a month, a month in just trash expenses, stuff that they weren't, they just were like, we weren't, is like old subscriptions that were getting banged on their credit card. And they were like, this was really eye-opening. What opened their eyes, by the way, was he has a, junior about to be a senior in high school that they had zero saved for college on so it's not just us broke folks you know my, like my parents back when we were I was growing up that didn't save for college dude's chief of surgery up there and he didn't save either mm. you know buddy of mine years ago said he was a, he owned three dental practices and he had an Amway side hustle. He's like, man, we're all broke on different levels. He goes, I'm doing this to develop a legacy for my family because they can't do dentistry. But um, that's what I would, that's the advice I would give your folks. So if you need to make more money, look at your expenses, but sometimes you've done everything you can. Now we just need to figure out a way to make a little bit more money. And if you're making, you know, 50 and all of a sudden you can go to making 60 and your lifestyle stays the same, guess what? 
you just got a lot of money that we can put towards retirement and that'll totally alter your financial future. Take 3,000 and blow it and take seven of it and start saving it and you'll be light years ahead of everybody else. That's very true right there. Proper preparation. And we just want to say thank you for coming on. We really, really, really appreciate it. This was fun. No, it was my pleasure. was mine, you guys. I really appreciate getting to meet you guys. I look forward. I'm going to, I'm not joking when I, when, as soon as I know when I'm coming back up there, because I have a lot of clients over in Silicon Valley that I go see a couple times a year, and it looks like the lockdown's over. Um, I got a cousin out in Placerville that uh, due to certain circumstances with the state of California, he is not allowed to come and visit me. So I got to go see him a couple times a year. So uh, I'll let you guys know. Anyway. Yeah, it's not, we, we have each other's number, so definitely let us know. But before we let Yeah, you, my pleasure, you guys. Before we let you go, do you mind just plugging in all your stuff where people can follow you, where they want a consultation on things, everything? Yeah, my website is um, roncarothers.com. And you just got to spell my name right, R-O-N. C-A-R-U-T-H-E-R-S dot com. Um, there's a contact button. You can reach out to us or you can just Google search us. And then I do post on LinkedIn, Facebook, but I'm the most active on Twitter. And my handle's the same, at Ron Carruthers. Um, you'll see my happy little picture there. And um, yeah, I try to write about all sorts of financial topics, way beyond the scope of college or even stuff that we chatted about. So, um, like I said, thank you, D. Thank you, Xavier, for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. And shout out to Bees. Thanks for introducing us. Shout out to Bees. Yeah, and that's that's all. We we definitely looking forward to speaking with you again soon. Sounds good. Anytime you want to have me back on about anything, you just let me know, and I'll be happy to do it. You guys definitely will do. All right, my pleasure, you guys. Yes, sir. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, that was another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. And then wrapping up, for those who don't know, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Xavier C. Miller, Indiana. And you can find me on Twitter at Deanna S. Kent and Instagram, Deanna Kent. And that's all we have for you guys. Appreciate you for tuning in to another episode. See you guys next episode. Peace. Turn me up something. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouches. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. You still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper I've been Chase the greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later in the conversation. We strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna speak that that everybody vouching Ain't no more excuses valid Get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant